Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is a podcast for lifelong learners, where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is not Caleb Mason. It's Todd Hicksimal, a.k.a. the Todd Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today we're talking with Francesca Gino, and we are talking with her about her book, Rebel Talent, Why It Pays to Break the Rules at Work and in Life. Todd, I what's, love the last rule that, what's the last rule that you've broken? Um, you told me that I had to do something, I'm sure, and I didn't do it. Let's think about that. Ooh, let's think about that. Um, what was, what was the last thing that you told me to do? Probably something with editing a podcast, if I'm being honest. I never tell you to do anything. I simply ask questions and you never respond. Multiple times in many different ways, in many different forms, over and over again, and on multiple platforms. Well, maybe if you would respond, I wouldn't have to do that. I just don't like talking to you. Anyway, this sounds like something we need to take into our next counseling session. Couples just ther- Couples therapy. No, 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 no. <laughs> anyway, we are talking about breaking the rules today. Um, and this, in case you noticed, this is uh, your second podcast with us this week. So thank you for listening. For those of you who have subscribed, thank you. Because you definitely made sure not to miss this episode. Also, Todd, for the people um, who may have missed it, what's our Learner's Corner recommended resource this week? Our recommended resource of the week is called Back to Human. It's by Dan Shabel. I'm I'm going to go with Shabel. I'm just going with it. Um, so if you want to hear check it out. what Todd thought about the book, go listen to our previous episode with Chris Yeh, and you can do that. Now, as we mentioned, we have a really fun conversation with Francesca, and um, really, and we get we get into a lot of different things about um, breaking the rules um, at at work, of course, um, and the benefits and the costs of that, and so on and so forth. But even if it even how it applies um, to our personal lives as well. Yeah, super fun, and I just like it because we're talking about breaking rules, and you know my saying, Caleb. I would What's rather I would rather ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. So, with that, here's our conversation with Francesca Gino. Well, Francesca, we are so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner to talk about your new book, Rebel Talent. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited too. Best book title ever. <laughs> Thank you. You know, just as we get started, um, you know, really just the idea of Rebel Talent really resonates with us. And we were just curious, can you tell us the story of what led you to want to write this book? Yeah, for many, many years, I studied rule breaking in the moral sphere. So I was very interested in how uh, people, or maybe I should say we, uh, sometimes cheat, steal, or lie. And I was interested in exploring why that happens and what organizations could do to prevent uh, cheating. And over time, I started to notice that there was a different story about rule-breaking. People who, yes, broke the rules, but ended up creating positive change uh, for their friends, for the people they knew, but also for their organizations. And these people were not people who lied in 
um, cheated. Rather, they were breaking rules in a way that encouraged others to do the same and that rather than being distracted was constructive. And I can actually remember very vividly the moment where I said, I'm going to write this book. And I was um, taking a stroll in a local bookstore and I noticed a, a book that looked a little bit strange. It was bigger than usual. The cover was Merlot and the title was in gold letters. And the title of it was Never Trust a Skinny Italian Chef. And I was, I'm Italian, so I was intrigued and I picked up the book, I started flipping through the pages and it became very clear that this was not a typical recipe book. And in fact, there were beautiful pictures of traditional Italian dishes, but they looked nothing like the type of dishes I grew up with. And the book basically tells the story of this chef, an Italian chef whose restaurant has three Michelin star and it became the best restaurant in the world in 2016 and then back at the top of the list in 2018. And what this chef did was studying traditional recipes very carefully, but then breaking away from them and creating something new, which if you know anything about Italians, is quite courageous because we cherish our old ways and there are lots of rules in cooking that should not be broken. And so I was inspired by his story. I studied him and many other rebels to really try to understand what's their secret recipe. So that's how I got to this project and to the book. Okay. And so, you know, I guess the next thing is, you know, tell us what does it mean to be a rebel? Being a rebel is often associated with all sorts of negative connotations. So some of the most popular ones are being annoying, being a jerk, being a troublemaker, an outcast. But I think we really need to shift our thinking. To be a rebel does not mean to be a troublemaker. Effective rebels are people who break rules in ways that are positive and productive and that are good for those around them. So part of the idea of writing the book was really trying to shift the way we think about rebels, not of them as negative or people we really don't want to have around, but rather people that um, we want more of in our lives and in our organizations. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an exa a specific example of what that actually looks like within an organization? Because I think I'm, I'm I, I think a lot of managers might be listening to this today, going, "I literally do not want rebels anywhere at all." on any part of my team <laughs> ever <laughs> under no circumstances. Can you give us an example of what it looks like in a healthy way? Yes. So one of the main differences really between effective rebels and ineffective ones is their, I'm going to call it delivery, the way they actually interact with one another. And often we think of rebel as people who have a lot of arrogance and arrogance is actually not part of the recipe book of an effective rebel. In fact, the rebels are very high on humility and quite respectful in the way they interact with one another. So let's imagine that you're in a meeting and what you have is people who are discussing a certain idea for a course on action or a decision that the organization wants to take. If you had a lot of rebels in that meeting, you would see a lot of what, Pixar calls a plussing. So people who listen to each other, so they don't interrupt, those are the rebels, and rather than shutting down ideas, they add to them. 
So rebels in situations like a meeting are people who are open to other perspectives rather than just being stuck on their own. And they add to the conversation in a way that is constructive rather than destructive. So that would be a very concrete example of a rebel behavior um, that is one that builds on this idea that rebels have perspectives and appreciate and leverage differences in a way that others don't do as effectively. And so if you think about it, yes, the rebels are there to suggest ideas and to brainstorm rather than just accepting what is being said at the table, but they do so in a way that is rather polite and respectful of other ideas rather than, rather than not. So what it sounds like you're talking about is emotional intelligence. What role does emotional intelligence kind of play in this whole idea of being a rebel? It's interesting that you asked that question. So I, it's a, I have an ongoing project at the moment where I'm looking at how emotional intelligence actually tracks with the five different talents that I identified in effective rebels. So, so I don't have an answer for you yet that is based on data, but based on my observation, it is true that in a couple of the talents that Effective Rebels seems to share, and these are perspectives and leveraging difference, they seem to be more open um, and better able to read other people around them in a way that helps them have better and more trusting interactions. So very naturally, because we are human, um, in conversations, in meetings, we're very stuck on one opinion or one perspective, and it's generally our own. And so rebels instead, partly maybe through emotional intelligence, are better able to stay open-minded. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that more people aren't rebels in their organization? We are often afraid to break the rules. So breaking rules is often associated with something that is risky and that is going to probably backfire in some way. Um, as I said, we all have, um, we're all humans. And so we have a, an innate desire to be accepted by others, to conform to their views, preferences, and behavior. And we rarely question the status quo. We run around our organizations often taking things for granted rather than asking questions of why certain processes or policies are actually there. And we also easily accept social roles and fall prey to all sorts of stereotypes and unconscious bias. So in a sense, our human nature is working against us. It's very comfortable to stick to existing processes and routines. And instead, breaking rules and going against what's there requires some courage. So I think it's fear what's keeping us from breaking rules more often or rebelling in organizations more often. Mm -hmm. And then I guess, what, what type of mindset would you say, what type of mindset do rebels have that helps them overcome that fear then? Rebels are okay being uncomfortable and being in a world in ways that maybe at first may seem wrong. One of the talents that rebels share is the talent for novelty. And if you think about a lot of what we do in our life is to follow very comfortable routines or to fall back on our traditions. And instead, rebels have this desire to always feel challenged and engage in new activities uh, on a daily basis. So doing so 
does make us feel uncomfortable. One of the stories that I tell in the book is uh, goes back a few years, and it's a personal story. I talk about how at Christmas time, a few years back before having children, I bought a what I thought was an amazing gift to my husband, who's <laughs> a nerd. So I think he was thinking we'd receive a piece of technology or a new computer, and instead, I bought him. Basically, I signed us up for a 10-week, two hours a week class in improv comedy. And it's something that at first, he really hated it. <laughs> he was really <laughs> hoping for a piece of technology. But then having a date with the unexpected every week was something that was quite good for us and for him. And he challenged us in ways that allowed us to experience what it means to really have this desire that rebels have for, for novelty. And so it's interesting that it's so difficult for us to, to stretch ourselves and put ourselves in situations that make us feel uncomfortable, and rebels do that on a regular basis. So whenever you, whenever you hear the term rebel, most of the time, it, most of the time, like Todd was saying earlier, it kind of has a negative connotation to it. Why do you think... Why do you think that is? We seem to have a very fixed idea of rebels in the business world. So people like Apple visionary Steve Jobs come to mind. And these rebels, the story goes, are very, very creative, but also very difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're described as control freaks who create chaos. Uh, people you'd rather not have as a boss or as an employee. That's why I was saying that we really need to shift our thinking. And I think that Part of the reason why these negative connotations exist is that I have met a lot of people who are trying to be more rebellious, but they get frustrated because they think or they believe that the organization fundamentally doesn't support it. And so the frustration, I think, turns sometimes into arrogance or in a delivery that is actually not quite pleasant. And so it's not helping them to fully embrace this idea of perspective and leveraging differences. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something you mentioned a little bit ago, which was um, this idea that rebels like novelty, and they need to be placed in situations that make them uncomfortable. And, and I guess the thought that came to my mind was it sounds like it's not only important, but it's vital uh, on a team. How as a manager or as a leader of a team can we encourage our the, the members on the team to, to explore novelty and, and to place themselves in uncomfortable situations to grow? I would think about a few different ideas, and these actually come from businesses that had the opportunity to study. One of these businesses is a place I visited because I was really interested in understanding how you could possibly uh, challenge people and really make them experience novelty on a regular basis when they work in jobs that over time, might be a little bit monotonous. So I went to uh, Tennessee um, and visited a business that is a fast food chain. It's called Palsa Southern Services. They're actually quite remarkable because if you look at their measure of performance, take revenue per square or you pick it, they do much better than the competition. But they also think very differently about how to invest in people. So, for example, if you're a place like Wendy's or McDonald's, you receive about a couple of hours of training per station. At Pulsar and Service, you receive 135 hours of training. So 
quite an investment. And if you think about what people actually do in the stores, they work really hard on their stations and then across stations throughout the day. But again, the work can become quite repetitive and thus monotonous. So I went there curious about uh, learning, about ways in which they keep their employees um, challenged. And I discovered that they do that in simple ways. So one way is... Uh, people go through their work shifts by following different orders in which they work on different stations throughout the day. And they actually learn about the specific order when they show up for work. So in a very small way, since not your day at this point is not completely predictable, that generates some challenge and it generates some novelty. So just creating that type of variety and that type of unpredictability can be quite good in terms of encouraging this desire for novelty. Or another thing that the general manager did in the stores was to actually give challenges to people. So I talked to a person who was working at the window. So the person would take the orders since the stores are drive through And one of the things that I've learned when I was there is that they have a lot of repeat customers. So think of people who eat there four or five times a week. And we are creatures of habits, so we tend to make the same type of order. So to challenge the employee, the general manager said, if you can uh, remember 100 orders in a row from repeat customers without having them to tell you, so you go by memory because they make the same order, then there is going to be this type of reward. And just that is a way to make people experience novelty or work or to challenge them. So these are just a couple of tips based on a business where you would say, or I would say, the job is quite, um, as the opportunity or the potential of becoming quite monotonous and, and maybe even boring. Now, was this a, a spoken system like everybody knew this is how training goes, this is how we do this, or was this something that just kind of happened? They are a very... Um interested in training people to become experts at what they do with the belief that once you're expert at what you do, your mind is free to think about ways in which you can innovate or ways in which things could be different and improved um, in a process or in the business more generally. So it's something that they thought quite carefully about. And that's why I thought that was a good example of a business that encouraged rebelliousness. So they realized that um, the investment is there, but they also realized the potential of people getting bored with the work that they do. And so how is it that you can instill this sense of normality and do so in very simple ways? Well, I'm asking that question because what I'm, what I'm thinking of is how, how businesses, how organizations can begin to instill this idea of being a rebel um, mm -hmm. and, and maybe even systematize it so that it's part of the training is to think – because really what we're talking about is, is thinking outside of the box and not being able to go – not being afraid of going outside of the rules. I mean whenever I think of, of being a rebel and as I'm thinking of your book, it's, it's let's, think about, let's think about things that maybe aren't part of the norm. Um, so that's, that's why I was just, I was curious as to, to how, what that looked like. Yeah. And as a leader, I would think carefully about in which ways small and maybe big, can I foster and encourage the different talents that rebels seem to have? 
And so, for example, let's pick on this uh, talent for diversity, really this idea that differences among people should be leveraged and that we should not hang out with people who just think the same as we do. I can think of uh, leaders that really took this idea seriously and said, okay, if we really want to encourage this talent, how do we do so? So one leader that comes to mind is Rachel Chong, who is the founder and CEO of Catch a Fire, a startup in New York. And when she hires the people, she asks them questions about problems that the company has faced or is facing now, and then she pays really close attention to the answers. And she's basically looking for people who think about the problem in a different way, people who are going to disagree with her and the rest of the team. And those are the people she hires. That's a really thoughtful and intentional way of really encouraging uh, this talent for diversity in a way of surrounding ourselves with people who are different. So I would, my suggestion to any leaders uh, would be to really think about each of the talents and what are the small and big ways in which the talents can be fostered. You've mentioned it a couple times, just for the listeners so that they understand what, if they haven't read the book yet, so that they can understand what you're talking about. You keep saying talents. Can you Can you run through really quick what the five talents are? Yes. So the five talents that I identified that seems to be present in the life of effective rebels are the following ones. The first one is the talent for novelty. Uh, the second one is the talent for curiosity. Then there is the talent for perspective, the talent for diversity, and the talent for authenticity. And so if we think about each of these talents they don't come naturally to us. So we talked about the talent of, for novelty. We all love our comfortable routines and it's uncomfortable to stretch ourselves, be challenged and engage uh, in a lot of activities that really are new and novel for us. Or take curiosity. We often take processes, ideas, tradition for granted. Curious, curiosity and having a talent for curiosity means that you're looking at the world with the same type of wonder that we had when we were little kids, where it's a constant asking why and how. Uh, if I think about my five-year-old, um, the why is really constant. Is <laughs> Why do we get receipts? <laughs> yeah. Why is it that we need to dress up in the morning? Uh, why is it that the sky is blue? And we lose that... Um, willingness to ask questions as we grow older. And in fact, if you look at the data, curiosity peaks at the age four and five, and then it declines steadily after that. So in order for us to embrace these talents, we really need to fight some natural tendency that we seem to have because we're human. What are, so whenever you talk about natural tendencies, you're just talking really about status quo. So if, think yeah. the ways that we typically think. Okay, just I just wanted to clarify that. So we've kind of painted the picture a lot of what it looks like to be a rebel. What would you say are some of the benefits that come from being a rebel in an organization? When we really embrace this idea of rebelliousness, the benefits are quite tremendous. First of all, we are much more creative uh, in the way we do our job, in the way we come up with ideas. We perform better, but we also are more engaged in what we do. And we also have better relationship with others. So across the board, when you think about how we feel, how we relate to one another, and then 
what the consequences are in terms of the jobs that we do, um, there seems to be quite a few benefits. We've been talking a lot about um, being a rebel in terms of, of, of the positive, of the, the ways that it helps. But inevitably, there's a, there's a cost to it, and and I and I want to put it set to the side um, the, the the negative pieces to this to this question, which would be you know you could lose your job or whatever. What are some other costs that being a rebel can can cause for a person that people might need to think about as they begin to think this way? The biggest cost to me is actually this feeling of being uncomfortable that somehow um, going against our human nature just might feel wrong at first. And so to me, the biggest challenge and the biggest cost is just that and being able to overcome it such that we reach the type of benefits that we talked about earlier. The only rebels that I can think of that really got in trouble and so did in fact lose their job or uh, were excluded from a group those are rebels that were not really embracing the talents in a way that was effective. Their delivery was not appropriate. And again, sometimes that comes out of frustration, but still it turns into arrogance and then it's hurtful to our relationships. What is one thing that people who are wanting to become rebels, what can they, what's one thing they can do to become more comfortable with being uncomfortable? I would say that uh, a couple of tips. One is um, understanding where they are. So in terms of really being able to use these talents, how is it that they come more or less naturally to them? So for this purpose, if uh, people are interested, they can go to the book website. It's called rebeltalents.org, and they're going to find a test. It's a free assessment with a few questions that is going to let them understand what type of rebel they are and receive some tips on things that they could consider in order to use other talents more often. So I think that is actually quite helpful to understand what's the baseline, what are some of the talents that seems to be more natural to us versus not. And we'll and have then that in the show notes. Yeah. We'll, we'll have that in the show notes so that people can, can, can check that out. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. And since I am still learning to be a rebel, what I've done that helped me is create a set of guidelines. Again, they're available on the website for free uh, on how to break rules for seven days. And if others are like me after they try the rebel life, they won't want to go back. <laughs> I love that. Um, so one of the probably my favorite talent. Um, as, 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 as I look at the five that, that you outline is perspective mm -hmm. and, and you make this statement in, in, in the book and it says, um, when we feel powerful, we are less open to the perspective of others. Can you talk a little bit about perspective and, and its place in that? And, and then also just clarifying on that statement more, why, why do you say that about, um, how, when we feel less when we feel powerful, we, we're, we're less open to perspective. Yeah, the inspiring story came from a, an interesting observation. Well, I thought it was interested. So often when I teach case studies, um, you invite one of the protagonists, so one of the high executive, high level executive, one of the leaders to come to class. And whenever I made the invitation, the reaction on the other side from the high power executive was, oh, I'm really eager to come to class because I really want to learn from the comments of the students and the 
learn from their perspective. And on a regular basis, when the executive actually should up for class, um, usually give them 20, maybe 15 minutes to talk. They use the entire time to talk at the students rather than asking them questions or getting their reaction. And it was sort of bizarre, but interesting. And it was a situation where you had a very powerful person who seemed to unable to really open up in a way to show the perspective. So perspective is a talent where we're not focused to on what we're bringing to the table. We're not focusing on our angle in terms of how we look at a problem or a situation, but we're really trying to stay open-minded and look at the problem from very different perspectives. And as it turns out, it's hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you may think that people with more experience or with more power would be better able to do so, and it's actually just the opposite. And that's because that sense of power gives us the confidence that we have all the right answer. And with that comes the fact that we tend to dominate conversation if we're powerful and not giving others the space to contribute to the discussion. Mm-hmm. So one of the interesting things about that to me is that, you know, I think it's really easy for um, for anyone to go, you know, that that's true of my boss, you know, that's true of my uh, the person that I report to. But in some area of life, we all have power and we're tempted not to listen to people. And so I guess my question is, what is one thing that someone can do to enter into uh, a better uh, position or posture of gaining perspective from other people? One very simple strategy is to basically think about the power that we have or the experience that we have. And rather than using it as a signal that we know a lot, or that we've been in the business for quite some time, or that uh, we are clearly um, have acquired more power status over the years, we think of all of that, all over of that experience as a signal that there is more to learn. And when people do that, even when they're very powerful, then they're able to really uh, stay open to the perspective of others. One of the stories that I tell in the book when I talk about this talent uh, for perspective is the story of Captain Sally Salenberger, the captain who ditched a plane in the Hudson River on a cold evening of 2009. And his story is fascinating. I found myself reading the accident report, and I was struck by how even in a situation where he had really little time, he had 208 seconds at the time that he had between realizing that he had no power, no thrust in the engine, and the time he ditched the plane in the Hudson River, he considered a lot of options. And so I reached out to him, and I learned that by the time the accident happened, he had a ton of experience, over 30,000 hours of flying. He had been part of the military. He had experience flying all sorts of type of planes. He, for his own learning had served as a volunteer on previous accidents to try to understand what might go wrong on flight. And yet, every time he stepped into the cockpit, he would ask himself, how could this flight be different? So he had this learning orientation and this humility of realizing that there was always something to learn in a way that really helped him. think through how is it that my experience is a signal that there is more to learn, then we are staying humble and open to the perspective of others. 
So the subtitle of your book is Why It Pays to Break the Rules at Work and in Life. And so is there a difference that you've seen uh, in being a rebel in, at work and at life or outside of work? It's interesting. I, I began my study of constructive rebellion, if you will, by focusing on rule breaking in the workplace. But as I discovered the project after project, breaking the rules enriches every aspect of our life. And what is uh, fascinating to me is that the same type of strategies that we can use to use rebel talents more often in our life at work are also strategies that generally we can use in our own life uh, back at home in the way that we parent, in the way that we connect with other people uh, who are friends or family members. So in a sense, there are not differences because the same type of tips can help us in both contexts. Mm -hmm. So whenever I think about being a, a rebel, I think of parts to that, and we've talked about this a little bit, but parts that are difficult. Um, what are some parts maybe that in life would be would be difficult outside of work? That being being a rebel, maybe in, at home or, or, or in in relationships. How what does I don't know what your research was suggesting about that piece to it. So it's interesting because uh, both when we are at work, but also in our personal life, we come in uh, with our human nature. And so take perspective, which is a talent that we were talking about earlier. It's difficult at work if you're in a meeting or if you're talking to your boss and everybody else seems to be thinking that the right course of action is X and you think is Y. It's difficult to voice your contribution your ideas and to also look at the problem from many different perspectives. But the same is true in life at home. Uh, think about discussions that you might have with your partner or with your children or with your friends. And again, they might have a very clear opinion on a certain subject and you have a different one. Do you stay silent and you nod while um, agreeing with what they say, or do you actually contribute your ideas and stay open to their perspectives? So it's interesting that there are lots of parallels in terms of how we can rely and use these talents at work, but also in our life, and how we can use the same tips uh, to be better at relying on these talents at home and in our life. I have plenty of examples in the book that actually comes from personal life, partly because I was surprised, but also uh, intrigued by this idea that breaking rules is equally beneficial across the spheres of life. Is there, a, there seems like there'd be a tension though, especially as we enter into outside of work where, you know, at work, we're trying to meet a goal. Like we're, we have an end product. There's a, there's a, a whatever we're supposed to be working on a project, what have you. And, and so we want the best idea to win. But it seems like outside of work, there's a lot of situations, more, more so I would say than, than at work, where there's not really a project. And there, there would be this tension where my idea, my perspective might be something that even potentially is harmful in terms of, in terms of causing friction and tension in relationships. How do you manage that tension? I would think about some of the principles uh, that come to us from improv comedy. So we were talking about one of the core principles of yes and, 
it's a really valuable one because whenever you are in tough conversations or in situations of conflict, what that tells us is that you start from a point of acceptance rather than judging others for their ideas, their contribution, their statements. You accept what's there and then you build constructively on it. So uh, business often uses the techniques and they call it plussing. So I was giving you earlier the example from Pixar, but it's a technique that is actually quite helpful <laughs> to use in life much more generally. And it's interesting that you were saying that at work we seem to have a very specific goals, but often we carry that over to our personal life. I can think of situations where, um, let's think about the talent for curiosity. I would be biking, biking with my son from his school to home, and um, often he was interested in stopping to look at a flower and then to pick up um, a piece of grass or just a moment in which he was curious and he wanted to explore the curiosity and I was eager to get to the goal of getting home. <laughs> and after working on this project, I'm just much more patient and in fact respond to his curiosity differently in a way that is encouraged rather than shut down. So I can think about situations even in our personal life, maybe as you said, less frequently, but we still have goals or things that we want to achieve in a way that might make it difficult for us to really embrace these talents. What's something that people haven't asked you yet about your research that you really are fascinated by and would like to talk about more? That's a very interesting question. So uh, it's research I'm conducting now. So we talked about the, the free assessment that is available online. So one of the things that I'm interested in is seeing if the type of job we're in or the type of organizations we're part of predicts a particular type. So I'm very interested in seeing whether cultures that develop because of a job or because of a specific industry organization actually um, mean that some talents might come more or less naturally to us. So that's one of the things that I'm intrigued by. That's fascinating, especially as, I, as I'm thinking about this book and, and then pairing – so pairing that, which I obviously – duh, that's what you're thinking too <laughs> – but I'm, I'm like, wow, if you pair that with that and then move that, wow, I love that. Um, so, so kind of piggybacking off of that, what, what was something in your research that surprised you? And it could even be a good surprise or like, a, oh, I didn't think of that, you know, whatever. So one of the surprises is what we talked about, the fact that breaking rules is very beneficial, not only at work, but also in life. So that was one surprise. The other one was to learn about the pirates in the 16th century. I did a lot of research on them, and the surprise there is that they were quite an organization and um, a good example in many ways of rebelliousness done right. So, for instance, um, this is at a time where we are about 200 years before slavery um, ended in the United States. And yet, if you wanted to be part of a pirate ship as part of the crew, the only thing that matters is your passion and your skills. 
um, gender, race, it just didn't matter. And again, this is a time <laughs> that was much earlier and there was a lot of slavery in the United States and around the world. So that was surprising. How they got organized was also surprising. So uh, the, pi the captain of the pirate ship was a person that was chosen by the crew. And at any moment in time, if the captain didn't behave in ways that were good to the crew, the crew could remove the captain. And it really makes you think about the way we walk around work or the way we behave uh, in the world a little bit differently. What if other had opportunities on a daily basis to just remove us mm -hmm. <laughs> because we are not connecting with them in the right way? So that was um, another aspect of doing the research for the book that actually surprised me. What can people start doing today to become more like a rebel? A couple of things are, um, I think, quite simple. So it goes back to this idea of shifting our mindset and making sure that we think of rebels as positive agents rather than forces that are destructive for organizations and for the world. So I think that that change in mindset can happen quite easily. And then really trying little things. So if I think about my experience now, I wear often red sneakers in formal settings, um, which is something that uh, people who are listening can make sense of probably by reading the book. But also I think is making a broader commitment to exploring ways of being in the world that might at first feel wrong um, and, and feel uncomfortable. So I think that that's an important aspect of really becoming more comfortable with what feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So Francesca, just as we're wrapping up, we always have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests. And one of the first one is, what is one thing that is helping you either personally or professionally right now? Definitely having three small rebels in my life. So I have three <laughs> small children. Uh, which I guess is, uh, is a tip that not everyone might want to act upon, but I have three small rebels in, uh, in my life. And what is interesting uh, in light of this project is realizing the many ways in which I might have not questioned rules in the past. So one of the stories that I share in the book uh, that is relevant for this point is um, the story of one morning. Um, at the time, my son was about four, four and a half years old, and he was up ready to have his breakfast. So, so he was sitting at the counter and he was having a bowl of uh, milk and cereals. And at some point he looked very pensive. And so he turned to my husband and said, can I have the coloring bottles that we use for Easter to color eggs? And my husband went to the cabinet, he picked up the bottles, he brought them to Alex and said, Alex, what are you going to do with them? And Alex said, I'm going to color my milk. And my husband looked very puzzled by this statement and he looked back at Alex and said, Alex, we don't do that. And Alex, being four, said, why not? Which I thought was a very good question. And then my husband looked even more confused and then looked at me and said, mommy, we don't do that, right? And it was a great moment because it made me realize that, again, there are all sorts of rules that I might take for granted, like milk has to be white <laughs> for breakfast, that might be worthwhile thinking about more carefully or just question or asking why questions around them. And so I think having small children who have this constant curiosity is a good reminder of, 
be more open-minded and moving away from the status quo more often. I'm just interested just because you, you've brought this up. It does seem like children inherently have this ability to be a rebel. Like they're always questioning things they're exploring. At what point does that go away for us? And, 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 and how do we, and why? Yeah, it's, um, the why is a bit unclear. Uh, when I think about data I collected, so looking at adults in organizations, the why is due to the fact that we tend to have some curiosity when we enter organizations, but then there is all this pressure to get things done and this pressure of um, basically making sure that the execution happens properly, that we forget to ask questions and stay curious. So I'm not saying that we need to get lazy and not do or get things done, but I think that there is actually quite um, a lot of benefits in um Having that type of wonder that we had when we uh, were little kids. You're right. I, I was mentioning the data, some of the data earlier. If you look at the data, curiosity peaks at the age of four or five, and then it's um, it declines right from there. The way school works might contribute to that. So um, I remember visiting some of the schools uh, that my son could potentially attend, and I remember being seeing our class where a teacher was looking at the kids coloring and some of them were coloring outside of the line and she was all about making sure that the coloring happens within the line. So sometimes there is a focus on, again, uh, making sure that you follow rules in a way that might uh, work against staying curious. I resonate so much with what you were saying about how there is this pressure to do the work, but it's I feel like it's kind of ironic though because you know, there's this pressure to do the work, but it's our ability to be curious and rebels that helps us get promoted and advance in our work. <laughs> exactly. So hopefully we can change that belief. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who's eager to learn? To stay humble and to stay curious. Curiosity and asking questions is so critical to learning. And so, as we just talked about, it's easy for, the, for curiosity to go away. So, really to keep um, this sense of questioning and wonder alive. If you could have everybody learn one thing, and that one thing could be how to make the perfect crustless peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> or it could be something highly philosophical and, you know, just thought-provoking. What would that one thing be? Now that you that you mentioned the uh, the cooking reference, I would say that that it's okay for milk not to be white. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you. That's a tweet. That's a tweet. I have actually tried. Um, that sounds like a Seth Godin book. Breakfast in different colors, and it tastes just the same. But you're starting off the day with a smile on your face. I think I think if Seth Godin, if you're listening right now, you need to name a, a book Green Milk. another thing that i would share uh comes actually from a quote um that comes from the chef that i mentioned earlier the chef massimo bottura the owner of osteria francescana this three michelin star restaurant he says quite often that you don't let tradition bind you you let it set you free and i think that is something really powerful 
he keeps saying uh, break, transform, create. And I, uh, it's something that I think about a lot um, in my life, both at work and at home. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, he, uh, when, when I asked him at some point what inspired him, he showed me a picture of an artist, a Chinese artist called um, Ai Weiwei. And in the picture, you see the artist smashing a 2,000-year-old vase. And um, he said that the first time he looked at this piece of art, it was sort of a puzzle, but then he really understood what he meant, which was don't take traditions for granted, study, break them, and then create your own thing. And it's really the story of what is done in his cooking in a way that made him successful. And it's inspiring because, again, it made me realize all moments in life where I just take things for granted rather than approaching them with curiosity and thinking whether there are better ways of doing things. And so it's something that is with me as I parent, as I think about my relationship, and also as I think about my work. So you've already talked a little bit about this, but is there anything else that you're learning right now? I'm learning to be a rebel. <laughs> I'm still learning to get rid of my accent that is not being very successful. Um, what I'm hoping to learn in the next year, um, since I've discovered in my research that a, a beautiful way of st staying humble is to actually have learning goals. So I would like to learn how to play the piano. Hmm. I love I love that idea. We're, that we're both just looking at each, we're both just looking at each <laughs> other like that is such a great idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Francesca, thank you so much for being on the Learners Corner today. If people want to continue to learn from you, if they want to find Rebel Talent, where's the best place for them to go? They can go to the book website, rebeltalents.org, and there are many different resources, more information about the book, but also uh, more information about how to become a rebel and why we should all be more rebellious at work and in life. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Caleb J. Mason, great interview. Loved getting to talk with her. What's one or two things that you, you took out of that conversation? I think one of the things that I really took away from it is that um, in order to be recognized, in order, and really, in order to be recognized, in order to be rewarded, um, you, you have to be willing to break the rules. And in fact, the, the most successful people are the people who break the rules, who do things differently, who go against the grain, who don't do things um what's normal or what's expected of them. And I think they often end up, you know, criticized, um, but, um, but it's worth it. And, you know, uh, one way, uh, and I was just talking about this, I might even talk about this with you, Todd. Um, I was definitely talking about it with somebody. Um, but one of the ways that I see this a lot, um, and I guess the other thing is too, is that people are generally scared to break the rules. Um, most of the time, or be criticized for breaking the rules. And one of the ways that I see this the most um, is in football right now. Um, one of, uh, uh, so uh, if you're not familiar with football, I mean, if you are, this is going to sound pretty normal, but um, you score points by scoring, or one of the ways you can score points is you can go score touchdowns. And after the touchdown, um, you can either kick a field goal 
um, or kick an extra point, which is worth one point, or you can go for two um, from about three yards out. And most people, they just decide to go for the extra point because um, they think it's more guaranteed. But actually, whenever you play out the stats, um, most people, you actually have a better chance of going for two, or sorry, uh, uh, scoring two points than you do one point. But most people are, are afraid because it's not the normal thing to do. Most people go for the extra point. Yeah. Well, I think that we should go break some more rules, Caleb. Let's do it. So, if there's one thing that you got from this podcast to that, break the rules. Break the rules. What's your saying again, Todd? And always, I would rather ask for forgiveness than I would ask for permission. There we go. And next week, we have a great episode for you. We are talking talking with... Are you ready? I'm yawning. But yeah, now I'm ready. We are talking with Pat... Flynn. Pat Flynn in the house. And we are talking with him about how to become better at almost everything. We break down the process for how you can become a master literally in any skill. And I know you're not going to want to miss this podcast, so what's the best way for them to make sure that they don't miss it, Todd? Well, they can subscribe to this podcast, and they can do that easily on any podcast player they use, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Overcast, like Caleb and I use or whatever else, if it's Stitcher, whatever. Subscribe to the podcast. You'll never miss another episode. It'll be awesome. Go do that. Also, leave us a rating and write a review of the podcast. If you do that, we will read it on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is not Caleb Mason. It's Todd Ixenball. And until next time, keep learning. And keep growing. Deuces, y'all.